Welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Nick. And Nick's still Hi. sick. Uh, well, oh, yes, and Karen's here with us, but we'll Karen's introduce her with in a us. We'll introduce her in a minute, but yeah, I'm still sick. Yeah, it's not Karen's <laughs> fault. Uh, I tried to get well, but I just, I, I'll tell you, I thought the holiday weekend was going to give me some time, and it uh, gave me just time to sleep, so. Well, we're supposed to go ride motorcycles this weekend, so you have to get I'm better. I'm working on it. Believe, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe getting out in the great Northwest will help me. I don't know. I'd like to leave the house. That's <laughs> a little stir crazy yeah. still. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how are you? Oh, busy as ever. I got, um, <laughs> I got the, all the, all the 15 amp wiring done in the shop. I got the Ooh. lift installed. I got the new, I ran the new wiring for the lift. I upgraded the wiring and I tucked it all away. And so it's all nice and tidy. So you can't trip over it. So there's no cords running on the floor or anything. It's all tucked into the rafters. So so baby steps to the shop, but uh, and you excited. didn't electrocute yourself. I did not electrocute myself right. with you know 250 volts of electricity, so that's that's nice. Um, although it is hooked to a 30 amp breaker, so every time I think about the electrical in your shop, I think about standing there with your father, and we're like, "Well, we need to turn this off." And he's like, "No, just unplug it." Be, and I'm like, "No, I I will fry myself. It will happen. <laughs> like I will literally cook myself." So yeah. yeah, yeah. So so far so good. No more fires, but uh, the there was the a fire. Oh, the, remember that second day I had the shop? I moved in and I blew that. I yeah, I blew yeah, that fire. light, and it, there was an old bird's nest that caught on fire. And that how quickly re- we forget the fires? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So now I have a lot of fire extinguishers and no more fires. Hopefully, it stays that way. That That's would be good. ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Which reminds me, I need to buy a fire extinguisher and put it in the Triumph. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that should be standard issue with most British cars, even now. I mean, yeah, you know, most of the time the wiring will eat itself, so you're fine. But you know, either way, so. <laughs> Kind of the same with Italian, too. So, yeah. Yep. And yeah. Uh, I got some cool new tools this week. I got my DeWalt 3.8 Impact, finally, which I haven't had. I had a quarter inch I've been using, like a really strong one, and my half inch. So I had, like, big and little, but nothing in the middle. And it went on sale on Woot. So I was like, well, I guess I'm getting an Impact. Have you gone a week without buying tools? No. That's I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you to stop. <laughs> I'm just saying, have you gone a week without buying tools? So, no, yeah. not even close. I think I got two this week. I don't remember what the other one was. I'll I, figure I, it out. Anyway. I cut out my tool budget because I'm getting ready to move. And I'm like, I put all that money towards like, but the Milwaukee ads seem to be coming in more frequently now. So that's yep, going to be That's what happens so, when you stop yeah. buying tools, yeah. you get more ads. So I know. That's ridiculous. That's so. how it's supposed to work. But It's in marketing. So. Yeah, I, I like to justify it with the math that every time I use one of those tools to complete a job, like when I was doing my wiring, I was using the staple gun to make all the wiring super neat and tidy and I'm the, sure the wire beautiful. strippers. So it's all the same length and everything is cut to spec. Like I've looked all this up. I've made sure everything is safe. That had just like, hiring the electrician just to do the shop has by not hiring the electrician to do the shop, I should say, for all like the basic wiring or stuff I may have them do would have cost me more than every tool I've bought to do the electrical in the shop by like threefold at least. So that's how I justify it to myself. I'm learning and I haven't burned anything down yet or shocked myself. So I think I'm doing okay. Well, if there's a fire that, you know, the insurance company can go back and say, well, he tried. Yeah. So, I, I have bled a lot. I have yeah. determined that I've bled a lot, but I think that's just Fair working enough. on something. You haven't really worked on something until you bled. <laughs> but anyway, um, our Carter automotive group tip of the week uh, was a recommendation from someone uh, actually in the old driver's club chat who was looking for some floor mats. And I was like, more complicated question than we thought when we first started looking at this. Everybody just goes out, they go to the old-fashioned, like, well, do I still buy WeatherTech? Do I buy WeatherTech? Do I buy the Husky liners? Whatever. No, um, you go to AutoZone and you get the one with the Tasmanian Devil on it. Everybody And then knows you cut that. it out with the knife, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you get the, the girl cut out for your mud flaps and get rocks thrown at you in Seattle. Yeah, that's, that kind of thing. Anyway. Yeah. Good way to die. Do yeah. they still sell those? 
<laughs> I hope not. I have a anyway. story about that, but not we can't not that we can tell on here. So yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So I was I was looking it up and. It, became an interesting topic of conversation, which in the automotive world, you can have an interesting topic of conversation about floor mats if you look hard enough. Um, WeatherTech are still good. They still hold water. They can, you know, you can throw a bunch of sand and mud and snow on your boots and you won't get your interior ruined. But um, the one thing we talked about was there was a couple of OEM sets I've still seen that don't go all the way under the gas pedal. Now, if your gas pedal is an attempt... Yeah. yeah, which is important. And if they don't, what inevitably happens is those mats will st- like shuffle forward and you'll hit the gas pedal down and they'll get stuck under that mat. And yes, I have had that happen in an old car and it is not fun to pull that thing up with your toe or quickly throw it in neutral and watch it rev out because your your uh, gas pedal is stuck. So that's one thing to look out for. And two, that's the highest wear area in the vehicle. It's not under your left foot under your braking. It's under your gas pedal because most people pivot on their heel. And so you're just wearing through that. Another thing we talked about is we're getting really annoyed with the size of logos. Have you noticed that WeatherTech's logo has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over the years? And so you, now you've got a floor mat and WeatherTech, like you're sponsored. And if I'm going to have a logo that big, I kind of want to get paid for it. Just my thing. But I mean, don't get me wrong. They make a very high quality floor mat. So I'm not knocking that. If you've got a utility vehicle or you like the way you want something that fits really well, I do like the WeatherTech mats still because they do, they do have a lot of protection. Husky mats, kind of the same problem that you can pull off their logo which i kind of like but um there's a bunch of new stuff coming out there and oem typically fits best i typically tell people to go to that when they don't know and it's best to have two sets up here in the pacific northwest if you're nice in sunny california where you get dust in your car and that's about it not quite as important but here we get a lot of mud a lot of rain a lot of snow all that crap builds up but yeah that's my quick tip under the under the gas pedal all the way up so it doesn't get stuck and it takes the highest wear area will also protect more and if you got a truck get the full ones that go all the way out to the side because you will be glad you did otherwise unless you're like well just doesn't use your truck then whatever boo on you yeah yeah boo on you boo shame. On you. Yeah. Shame. shame 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 yes absolutely our guest this week uh is karen brown from motor trend karen welcome to the show um you obviously you've done a lot more than that you are what is your official title there experimental marketing tell me more about experimental marketing karen yeah so they actually people actually say experimental but it's actually experiential <laughs> oh experiential uh, yeah i, blame I mean nick. It, 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 i would blame nick i would actually blame nick and adam it's fine you can blame that's everybody. true yeah yeah <laughs> you know uh, when my, you read it off her linkedin it does say that now huh Lord, no <laughs> it is actually it is actually an experiment you are actually creating an experiment um but people actually do say experimental and i'm like nah experiential that's cool so experience just, marketing experience marketing yeah an event yeah. so uh yeah vice president been here for nine going on 10 years yep wow so yeah. you've seen some stuff yeah and then some <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about that today though now karen you didn't really did you start out in the automotive field because like again I, I i stalked you through your linkedin and things like that you've worked for everybody from like disney to you were with garage team mazda all that fun stuff how did you kind of get into the automotive field um <laughs> Long story short, I actually wanted to be a child psychologist. Um, so that makes total a sense. Bit, I mean, cars. Yeah. There. Boom. Yep. And actually, actually nowadays there's a little bit of that psychology into into what I do. So uh, yeah, no, I actually started out when I was in my teens. I had a mentor who was running the um, the Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe tennis tour, and they called it, by the way, the Senior Tennis Tour. It was 35 and older. So I say that now, and I feel really old. Yeah, super old. I'm like, how is that a senior tennis tour? It's fine. We won't talk about that. Um, but uh, I got started in it, and I just love live events, and I loved creating experiences for people. And and then 
got into different aspects and different brands and mostly sports and entertainment. And then I came across automotive um, in the early 2000s and I've just like stuck with it. I got out of it for a little bit and realized, uh, no, that's my passion. And I went back into it because like you can't really do live experiences in the entertainment world because it's like people and talent and whatever. And with cars, there's so much history and storytelling to be told there. So I was like, I got to get back in it. So, yeah, I've been around the block. <laughs> so when you're talking about these experiences and, I, and the first thing that comes to mind, is like some of these pop up things I've seen from um, car brands and things like that, like BMW would go around the country and they would pop up somewhere and you could drive the cars and you could go in and see how things like that. Is that kind of what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. So anything from like creating custom bespoke programs for clients where it's completely all about one brand, whether you're on a track and off a track. Um, we do a lot of rallies and drive programs at Motor Trend. So one of our biggest brands is Hot Rod. So we do the Hot Rod Power Tour, which is almost 30 years actually next year where it's say, over 6,000 cars that are, it's basically like a traveling parking lot and it goes from like city to city and it's massive and it's all hot rods from, you know, Mustangs to, to Chevys to Fords to whatever it is. And, um, it's super cool to see. And everyone's got a story every, and the car stories too, right? Like you don't really think about it, but, um, it's just such a, uh, history, um, uh, a way of actually bringing people together, which I truly love. Um, and then we do like private events as well, where people host parties and, and whether you're at SEMA to Pebble Beach Concours to, to Car Week. So um, it's, it's really cool to see everything come together. Huh. So, boy, you got to have a, a lot of uh, trailing vehicles on the power tour, I'd imagine. <laughs> Just yeah, like, it's, it's insane. A lot of hot rods, a lot of breakdowns, but it's fun all the same. I've it's seen fun. the power tour. Um, how many years ago it was, but I it was on a road trip and I checked it out. I was like, holy crap, this never ends. There's just it cars doesn't. everywhere. It's like this, yeah, like you said, a rolling parking lot. It's more like a rolling throwback. It's kind of cool yeah. to see because you don't see yeah. that many cars on the street. So it looks like a no. movie's being set up. It's really cool. And it's fun seeing it through. Like you go to some of these like smaller towns that they've never seen something like that. And people like set up their lounge chairs. They make a big party out of it. And then you see all these really cool cars like along beaches or in, in back roads and the countryside that you don't people don't get to see like a large brand coming through that. Um, we also do hot rod drag week, which is awesome as well. It's like 150 plus cars that are actually drag racers. They build these cars for six, nine months out of the year. And then they go and they compete for bragging rights, but it's such a competitive thing that if like, Oh, you need some kind of tool or accessory, or whatever, instead of going down to AutoZone, like someone's like, yeah, just come over my trailer. Like I'll, I'll hand it to you, but I'm going to beat you on the track tomorrow. <laughs> you know, like it's that like competitive nature and you're like, you don't get that anywhere else. That's why I competitive love Competitive camaraderie. Yeah. That's a yeah. really. And if it's... you beat me, it's because you use my tools. So yeah. So I'm going to need that <laughs> back. So for yeah. when I race, thank exactly. you so much. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So did you grow up in a family that loved cars and, and, and loved the automobile? No. No. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. Like, I mean, I was around cars. I, I grew up in Manhattan Beach. It's a small town in, in Los Angeles. So I was around automotive my entire life, just but not in the way in which I'm doing it now, which I think is actually a really cool story. Like a lot of people that I know in the industry, like their parents were in it, their grandparents were in it, you know, um, they, they, they worked in shop, they worked on cars, they, you know, they attended live car events, I was always into sports and entertainment. So it was kind of like a, a new passion for me. But um, it was it's interesting to kind of see like the different aspects of it for people that grew up in it or didn't grow up in it. So I'm always curious about that when someone's introduced into like the car world, later in life what do they latch what do they latch on to what quickly draws their attention and they find themselves being attracted to when you first started doing this what was the 
the natural draw versus the one you were told to go focus on. There's always that. There's the there's the work, which is go talk, look at this car, look at you know, talk about this. But what catches your eye and has always caught your eye and held it for since the beginning? I think it's the people. You know, it's like you um, you get to see something and you get someone you, when someone's actually telling their story about their car. There's something in it that their eyes just like brighten up. You know, and you don't really get to see that in a lot of other types of live events. I mean, sports, I guess, would be comparable, right? Um, but being not in the car industry growing up and actually maintaining in it, I just love building relationships with people too. I guess that's in my DNA. Um, I, I love being around people. I love being around cars. And even if you see the same car, like every other weekend, which you do a lot of in Southern California or a large car markets, it doesn't matter. Cause there's always something new that you're finding out about it, you know, or you might see a car, you know, five years from now and be like, Oh, that used to be owned by someone else. And then you can tell that story too, you know, or if it goes across a block at an auction, there's so much history and DNA to it that people just don't understand it unless you're in the space. Then that's, I think that's super powerful, right? Like you don't get that in a lot of other industries. And, um, it's also as a woman in this industry too, being able to like talk about automotive and being able to and showcase that off, I think is extremely powerful as well. Cause we're used to seeing as like, the people on the right seat, <laughs> you know, not actually behind the wheel, like driving the car or drag racing or doing anything like that. And I think that that's as that's exciting, too, because you see a lot of young kids that are growing up like, how do I get in that industry and why is it important to me? And there's so much there's so much storytelling, I think, to be said for that. I think you hit on something that the story of the people is almost more important than the car. But yeah. I mean, we've all seen it too, where people will sell a car and it's like, you want to sell it to the right person because you want to make sure that car, that legacy lives on. And the fact that, you know, oh my God, you, you painted Steve's car. Why would you do that? And why did you do, you know, think, <laughs> that's a real story. So yeah. yeah. Who's like, Steve, by the way? Yeah. Who's well, Steve? Yeah. Steve shouldn't, Steve should have painted it in the first time. So, <laughs> so how did you end up at, so you, like I said, you were at uh, the garage team Mazda, right? How did you yeah. end up there? Um, I actually worked at uh, a couple different brands previously, and then um, I got pulled over to their, gosh, I don't even remember what year it was, 2012, 13, something like that. Um, they're a small, they're a small shop too, and their their story is actually interesting. They actually were built um, specifically um, out of their parent company uh, off the Ford brand to, to create their own agency specifically for Mazda. Uh, which is actually really interesting. So you think of it, you think of it as like, oh, is it Mazda's in-house agency? But it's it's not. They're their own they're their own agency. But they do everything from like the media buying to the media planning to uh, to live events to regional programs to customer service engagements and on the the dealership side. So I was there for about two years. Um, I actually really love working on their brand, to be honest with you. It's like a small little like that Cinderella story that like keeps on going. And their their passion and their history for how they build cars is like it's not told enough, you know, as a, as a Japanese brand, I don't think it is, but, um, it, there's a lot of history and DNA as well to be said by that. And I love working down there. They're a fun bunch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mazda as a brand has, has, I, you know, being as old as Dan and I are and seeing it through the eighties and nineties and things like that. And, uh, it, it's yeah. fun. I mean, it's, and it's, I think there's so many people out there that, that take obviously the Miata and have made it such an interesting platform and done so many fun things with it. Including well, it's a car that it. was built on, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a car. It's a car that was built for the track, right? And that's the thing. It's like it's a car that's built for people that you know have a heavy right foot, and you know there's a comfort level to it, and there's like a design aspect to it. And I don't think people always truly consider that about Mazda, you know, just from like a price point perspective, maybe, or from a brand ethos perspective. But 
um, I think that, you know, you, you're bringing up some cool factors just in terms of like the JDM car culture to me is extremely powerful. Um, I think it's one of the like lowest hanging fruit out there that people don't necessarily know yet. And if you follow brands like Bring a Trailer, um, who are doing huge in that space or built by legends out of Japan, like they are growing massively in the in the Japanese space. And, you know, some of those cars are going more from on auctions and other, you know, live events uh, sites and auction sites that are becoming extremely more powerful over the past couple of years. It's something to watch for, for sure. Yeah, we're coming into that cycle of people who couldn't afford them when they were younger, mm -hmm. getting into more money. So, and, they, and as of 98, we can get the R34 Skyline over here, which people mm -hmm. consider really the last GTR in spite of the R35 when it lost its soul. Mm -hmm. So, uh, <laughs> just throw that down, Dan. I, I used to have one. I'm just saying. I, I've driven both. Yes, fair they're very different. Um, is there? A, is, I was going to ask you about this. Kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Is there a um, a segment of the market that draw when you do these events that you really find yourself drawn to, um, or some that you don't? Um, that you get there and you're like, eh, this crowd's a little different. <laughs> yeah, who do you want to throw under um, the bus? Ready, go. Yeah, throw somebody under the bus. How much time do we? How much time do we have? How long is this? As much as you'd want. Yeah, yeah. It's your show. Oh, perfect. All right, we'll do a couple segments on that. Uh, no, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Porsche lover. Um, I could, I would go to any Porsche event 24 seven. Um, I'm a huge fan of that. So anytime that there's something around that, it just, you know, it just sucks me in. Whether, you know, wherever it's at. Uh, Red Sports coming up right at the end of this yeah. month, which is super exciting. That's going to be massive for them. So. A big fan of that brand. Um, but I would say like for me, I mean, I'm obviously into hypercars and supercars, but I would say the passion truly lies in, I don't know, the, there's something about the hot rod community and the JDM community. They're just, they're, they're so much more engaged in it. Like I feel, okay, this is not supposed to be any disrespectful to any hypercars or supercars, but people stand there and they take pictures of it and then they upload the content. And then it's like, now what? There's nothing really, you don't really get under the wheel in the wheel on the design in the infrastructure of it like with the hot rod and the jdm community like you can sit there for, for hours talking with people at least, at least that's been my experience right and especially the young kids who really care a lot about some of that stuff right they really want to understand how it's built why it's built like understanding the storytelling behind it the design behind it like the, the inner workings of the vehicle to like modify it to restore it to so I don't know. It, to me, that's just much more appealing to me than just standing there taking a picture of like the Aston Valkyrie and be like, I'm just going to look cool taking a reel of it. I don't know. That's great for content, but are you? Do you really care? Or do you just want it for the gram? What's, what's so, so many here? people have that haven't seen it. I so I have to ask this, and our and our listeners won't be able to. But is there a picture of Bagani Waira next to you? Um, I'd have to look. Maybe there no. might be like from Exotics on Broadway, like no, a no, 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 like in, on the wall next to you right now in a painting. Oh, there's a Delorean. Oh, Delorean. Yeah, okay. the, see the Goldwing. Oh, that's what yeah. I, I thought it was. Pagani. Sorry, she was talking. She was. Okay. Uh, oh, okay, there we go. You. Yeah, she was talking hypercars and things like that. So, oh, that, see, that's cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Speaking so of photos, like, yeah. That was that's actually a, from that's a painting. Yeah, that's a painting. That was actually from a custom event that we went to. Adam, were you there? Right. Yeah, it was during Car oh. Week, um, and uh, we hired an artist, Kelsey Fisher, out of Los Angeles, and he came and painted that live. It was a custom program that we did during Car Week of last year. So that's really yeah. cool. So I heard yeah. you were wandering around the Peterson one day with an uh, Alpha Mare coat on, and that's when uh, Adam tracked you down and, and 
told you yeah, you needed to be a part stalker. of this community. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, stalking. I mean, that's how we yeah. find most of our guests. I figured that's it was true. still it was still in court, so we didn't know if we were using the stalking term or not. So yeah, I mean, He's I can say that out loud. He's a fan. Fan. I can say that out loud, but that's as far as I can go. We're Fair under, enough. We're under, NDA, we're, we're under NDAs. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Or wait, hold on. They're called friendies, so <laughs> we're okay. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I was thinking about what you said about the 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 hot rodders and the JDM community are more alike than they want to admit, even though they, they yeah. like to poke fun at each other. But it's that whole the ethos of built not bought without all the the crap that goes along with that saying. Because there's yeah. a lot of people are are a lot less likely to take a knife to a Porsche than they are to a JDM car and make it their own. So don't be wrong, I love my Porsches and I've had a few of the. They live up to the hype, as I say on the show a lot. Porsches just live mm-hmm. up to the hype. But mm-hmm. man, I'm not I'm not so inclined to start cutting one open as I and you know, like, hmm, let's try this. Let's try some more boost or change the turbos on my turbo S as I might be on, you know, it's any any one of the JDM cars that is Supra and RX7. Sure. Even though those are just skyrocketing in value, I'm much more in tune to mod one than I am a hundred thousand dollar base price, you know, well, two hundred thousand now, Porsche. Yeah. So I would, you I would agree finally. with that. I would agree with that. Even if you have like an older model Porsche, maybe you're going to completely take it down to the bones and restore it, you know, for a half a million dollars or a million dollars plus, you know, so that's going to be like probably not your daily driver, right? You're going to have that as like your weekend car or cars and cars and coffee driver. But I would say with like, yeah, like your a Mazda RX-7 or something like that, like you do want to take it out. You want to modify it, whether it's the wheels or turbo or engine or whatever it is, you're going to customize it. Uh, maybe put a new engine in it. Um, I don't know. In an RX-7, yeah. In an RX-7, yeah. <laughs> Every 30,000 miles or so. <laughs> well, like a WRX Ooh. though. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to yeah. tune in WRX until it blows and just do it again. Because yeah. that's what you do with the WRX. That's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay, you know. And I, But I think that is what the Hot Rod and the JDM community does. Like they're, yeah. they're, mod- they're constantly modifying it because there's something always coming out that's bigger and better. And they want to have that actually in there. And it's that sense of like... FOMO, I think with like a, a Porsche or a supercar or something like that, like to your point, yeah, you don't want to start meddling things off um, because you're buying it as is, or you're going to slightly customize it, whether it's the trim or the interior or something like that, but not fully res- restoration wise. I mean, then you I, LS swap your RX-7 or your Supra and piss them both off. <laughs> but, then you get spon- <laughs> but then you get sponsors and then you're like, hmm, maybe there's right? a career, there's a career here for me. <laughs> F22C, Honda S2000 or whatever it is. And yeah, F22C and an RX-7. I still want to do that. I think it'd be fun. Like a turbo S2000 swap and an RX-7. I think I think you have something going for this. I'm sure someone listening is going to call you about it sometime in the near future. I hope so. <laughs> I, I think that you know the w- one thing we see from the hot rod communities, especially and I'm going to use the example of 32 Ford and people people taking those and making them their own. And I mean, and it's such an iconic thing. And you look at you know the movies, you know, you know American Graffiti and things like that. And what mm. you can be taking taking a car that was originally slow, then was used as a bootlegging car and then people would take and slam and make these incredible machines out of and i think that that community you just like you said you don't see that in a lot of other places where you're like oh I'm, i ripped out the frame underneath my miata and then i put on a uh, you know <laughs> a new body from toyota and it just doesn't work that way the the, the, the different types in hot rodding so I also think you get a lot more, I don't know what the word is, like street cred, right? When you do that kind of stuff to your hot rods or to your JDM cars, just because there's like, you're, mod- you're designing it that's creatively for your own brain, whether you're on or off the track, right? I think people do get, a- you get a lot more street cred when it comes to that and you're using certain parts or not using certain parts from those specific eras as well. Um, I think that actually creates more of a storytelling thing, which is why I think a lot of those car collectors and builders do that or shop owners. 
Karen, have you gotten into the racing community too through this? <laughs> I have. Okay. <laughs> so funny story. I don't know if this is appropriate to say or not, but I'm going to say it anyways. Like when I started at Motor Trend, I was like, where's the Pebble Beach Concours? Where's the Amelia Island Concours events? Like all these custom bespoke ride and drive programs, which is what my background was, right? Like that's where I came from. And uh, I had a couple of folks on my team where it's like, she doesn't like hot rods. Like she's kind of over on that side of the crowd. And I'm like, I don't really, what is this? What's happening over here? I didn't really understand it. <laughs> so I, I went to power tour, obviously like a few years ago for the first time, like taking over the entire team and running it. And I was like, I can't get enough of this stuff. Like, this is insane. This is so intense. Like your, your head's like basically going all over the place. There's such an appetite for it. And then on drag week, a couple of years ago, I, um, I had booked a flight to go home like midweek and I'm like, I can't leave. Like, I got to know who wins. Like, this is, this is, this, I got, I have bets going on. Like, Welcome this is to not, the sickness. Like, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like on the track, like I'm asking questions. Like, how did you do this? Why did you restore it this way? Why did you build this engine that way? Like, who's your, who do you partner with on this? And then I changed my flight like three times that first year just because I didn't want to leave. And I was so addicted to it. Um, <laughs> So like that local grassroots community, I have, a, I have a huge appreciation for, I think that there's, there's not enough love in TLC for it because like your F1s and your NASCAR has taken over, but people start somewhere, right? Like, I think people forget about that, that a lot of the people that are on those, those dragon drives or the, the local communities, like the people start in those environments and you have to, if you're a true racer, like you, you start smaller and obviously you build up into it, whether it's NASCAR, IMSA, IndyCar, or F1, you know, et cetera. Yes, I'm a F1 fan. <laughs> before everything Netflix, with wheels, by, fans. Yeah, yeah. Before, oh wheels, yeah. Before Netflix, by the way, just gonna drop that in that conversation. Well, let's get it out there. Who's your driver? Lewis Hamilton. There it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nick's gonna hang up. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I, 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 this is not working. Wait, who's your who's your driver? No, I'm, I mean. <sighs> That's tough. I, I, I was Verstappen for a long time, but I think I'm mm. I'm floating around. I think I respect everybody for their talent. Like I said, and I I and I will say this, even though as a Verstappen fan, Hamilton's or Lewis has been hindered by his car lately. I think he'd be a mm. lot better with that. It's the car that is the issue right now. So, a hundred percent. I but mean, across a lot, a lot of the drivers too are having yeah. those issues. It's mostly the car and the money that goes into it. So, I don't know. Um, Aston Martin's looking pretty good. Shiny objects over there. I know. Shiny <laughs> Aston, Martin, Aston Martin's been coming around like the last two years. Like no one really yep. followed them very much, and all of a sudden, because of F1 and and what they've been doing and the new cars they've been launching as well, like they're, I mean, unbelievable. Like I attended their um uh, their display at Car Week this year, and I that was probably actually one of my most favorite activations, just from like a design aesthetics. Like it was like approachable, but still classy, but still had the F1 flair to it, but also modernized and then brought back the history of it. I'm like super classy in terms of everything they did from a design. I'm sure not super cheap either. <laughs> very very economically designed and I very classy. I think you bring up a good point of something, you know, Dan and I go down and work with Concorso Italiano a lot. And I've seen a lot of the displays that have come out of these car places, you know, manufacturers and you go, good Lord. It's like, there's, you're setting this up for a day, this huge display. And, and you know, you're attracting, I mean, especially for, for quail and then pebble and things like that. Mm -hmm. Talk about the process of, you obviously know a little bit more about that. How does that work? Like how does a, a company come to somebody like you and say, this is what we want to do. And, and how do we do it? Uh, it's a great question. <laughs> They're like, we want something that's never been done before. And our budget is this small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you could do it I under was, the budget, that'd be great. That'd be great too. And like, don't come back to me with any plus up packages. Cause we're not going to have the money anyways, but wait a second. 
you do have the money, you just don't want to pull it out of that budget. But no, it's actually kind of a, a really fun process. Um, we get briefed on stuff all the time about it. Um, and at Motor Trend, we can we can either completely put Motor Trend, you know, creatively designed into it, or we can white label it. It doesn't matter. Um, the cool thing about working on big big builds like that is like um, that you bring they infuse certain designs from like what their dealerships look like or their flagship stores or um, the future of where their brand's going. Um, and it's really fun to see kind of that in a digital form and then actually see it brought to life on, on, in a, in actually a live form. Right. Um, and I think a lot of big brands are and smaller brands too, are taking some pretty, pretty big swings in it. You know, it is a very expensive mortgage payment for a day, <laughs> I will say. And sometimes you're like, oh, if only if I could, you could squeeze that lemon just a little bit more and do that in smaller spaces and then put your money elsewhere. But that's cool. Like this is obviously a lot of that stuff too, by the way, that comes from in the international brands It comes from overseas. So it's a big push if they've got reveals or launches to, to set forth, but it's a really fun career process if you're into like design and technology and engineering because you get these these um, asks that come in from the clients that you're like you want me to what and where how do you want this car to be displayed like um, just spinning on a top and and, yeah yeah there's things (laughs) called rigging and trussing and weight limits do you do you understand how that works and by the way you have two days to load this in i don't think that's going to work no matter how much money you throw at it but if you're into that, if you're into that design or that pop-up stuff, it's, it's really fun to work on from like a creative perspective. One of the coolest things I was a part of, well, I wasn't a part of where they came, Fiat came to Concorso one year and it was when, right when they brought out the Fiat 500 and they had a display mm. that was basically an espresso shop that they just popped mm-hmm. up there and they mm-hmm. were pouring espresso out of the back of these cars and it was just a cool idea. And I, you look at it from the perspective of walking up to it and you're like, oh my, this is so cool. But you don't think, okay, what did it take to get this here? How, you know, find How the guy that's work? making the Italian coffee, you know. <laughs> you know well, it's interesting because if you work on them a lot, you're like, oh, we should do coffee at your display. Wow. Groundbreaking, right? <laughs> but, but like... <laughs> You said cars and coffee. That's yeah. never heard that before. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, you want it? You want an Instagrammable moment at your activation? Wow. Okay, hold on. Let me let me a look background? that up. Background. <laughs> you want signage there? Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. I've never heard that before. But it's it's fun. It's like you get to be creative and you know come up with things again. It, it goes back to I've always looked at it like what does the consumer know? Nine times out of ten, the consumer either hasn't seen it or they don't know, and it's like new to them. It's exciting, you know. So you always want to provide those experiences for the fans, and then when fans do leave the space, you want them to have a good lasting impression of the brand as to like what it meant to them and how it made an impact on them. Does that sell cars? Not for me to answer, uh, but you know it's a it's a big brand awareness play. So if you're into that kind of environment, it's it's exciting. What are this? What are some of the better ones you've seen? Or actually, what are some of the worst ones you've seen? That's actually what oh, I really want to know. That's for another podcast, Dan. I don't you haven't seen yeah. one bomb. Right, I was hoping. Yeah. <laughs> what's a, what's a some of the what are some of the best ones you've seen? Actually, like where you've seen one, like man, that was a really genius idea. Um, I again, the Aston one this year was actually pretty cool. I really loved it. Um, I was really impressed by just how they wove in like the different materials of the display. And then they had some F1 vehicles and, you know, the DB12 on, on display as well. But then again, the look and feel of like the staff and what they were wearing, it was like super sophisticated, but also approachable. Um, you know, I actually worked on Lexus before and, uh, when I was at team one back in the day and we worked on the Paul McCartney us tour, which I have to say it, I was not a Beatles fan before. I'm sorry to offend anyone who's going to listen to this podcast. Um, but, uh, having that's our whole fan base. Thanks, Karen. Oh, Appreciate great. it. Sorry, yep. I lost right out the door. 
<laughs> yeah, the next one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, uh, Paul McCartney was amazing to work with, and he's he was vegan, right? This was back in what two thousand? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Two thousand and four, two thousand five. I'm gonna say, and back then, vegan was not a, a, a very well like pop culture type of way or, or a way of eating, right? And and a lifestyle, right? And so we had to basically change the entire menu and the entire display and infuse all vegan products and ingredients and everything into the activation from like the food that was served at the dealer hospitality to the, some of the materials that were on display as part of the design. And that I know the team that I got to work with did an amazing job at doing something like that. And so to me, that was actually a very challenging experience, but also super rewarding as well. Um, and then I went to Goodwood this past um, summer in July, again, bucket list if, if you guys haven't gone, but it's, um, it's basically car week all in one environment. And it was pretty epic. Um, I'm not sure what can top it, to be honest with you, but um, maybe F1 in Monaco. I don't even know. Um, but uh, Porsche had this really cool setup, um, custom builds to the shell of a, of a Porsche with flour infused in it. And then they put a car on a semi ramp with water kind of flowing down it. And the, the logo 75 was done by like a maze. And then they had cars on display out in front. And like, again, as a Porsche enthusiast, I was just like, I could sit here all day and like not leave your space and have coffee, by the way, shocking. Um, and um, it was, done. it's never been done before. <laughs> <laughs> but they just, they just touched on the key components of, the Porsche DNA and the ethos that they live, like being an enthusiast brand, being creative, being outside the box, but it's huge done in, in a design way. And then they had like a, a augmented reality um, building on the inside. Like it was just done in a very like classy, tasteful way that Porsche always does it when they do their big d- displays. But you know, that was very expensive. I'm just going to say that. I'm not going to. Oh, it's Goodwood. It. Yeah. It's Goodwood. You have to, right? You have to go big yeah. there. So um, I always, the, the only thing I can compare it to is some of the, some of the houses that get built on and when you're going into Pebble and things like that, yeah. you know, as far as, yeah. I mean, it's, and that, and I've tried to describe that to somebody. It's like, you think, and I, I finally found it through F1. I'm like, you see what Red Bull does where they build a house, you know, out of a trailer. I said, mm-hmm. Mercedes comes in and they build a huge house on the lawn and, and it's, it's an experience and things like that. So I, I mean, that, that, that's 10 times more than a display. Yeah, that house was built from what I know, like it started like mid to late July and it had to be, you know, it's live for three, four days max. And then yep. it's boop, all gone, yep. which on is to the next thing on, on to the next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you talked about Mercedes, <laughs> which is uh, on a, when we have to talk about every we have the opportunity to talk about everybody we saw down there. And we're like, that's the one that pops out. So <laughs> that's why they spent the money because yeah. everyone's being mentioned. I will I say that. I will say it was interesting to see when you walked in and the I don't know on the corner side it was all Maybach right so they had like apparel they had a couple vehicles on display like the flooring was done in a different environment and then you go over to the other side which was like it felt more like a night nightclub meets day club kind of an energy but it was still like it's still aeronomically like designed in a, in a Mercedes type environment, you know, like when you get inside the vehicle, you're like, Oh, that speaks to this, this design. So they did actually a really good job as well. I like the interactive ones. Like Ford always has done stuff at Barrett Jackson, like where you come in and they're introducing a new Mustang, you can get in two, two identical Mustangs and drag race technically and things like that. So stuff like that. Yeah. The simulators are fun too. Like if you can get people behind the wheel and do like some competition, like that always engages, but that's good for like, the F1 crowd, the Pebble Beach crowd's like, where's my champagne and caviar? <laughs> know your audience, people. Can I be audience. driven in the simulator? <laughs> yeah. Can, can you, can you, 
Can you take can you take me to another event? Can you fly me over there? I don't want to get in this traffic during Absolutely. Week. Deal with these yeah. peasants. <laughs> Definitely has been done. Guarantee somebody has taken a helicopter from one event to the other. Oh, yeah. It probably uh, happens multiple times a year, actually. They actually, they actually uh, do it. I think at the Quail, if you're a sponsor, I believe a package. Yeah. I don't know if they do it anymore, but you can helicopter from there to the track on that Saturday. I don't know if it's still part oh, of the Oh, yeah. Or back. Yeah. Always a joy. I, I remember seeing the if, helicopters. If yeah. you've ever taken the road that goes from Quail over the track, you want to drive. <laughs> you do. <laughs> yeah. It's a great road. So. Yeah. It is a good road. Yeah. All the back roads of Carmel are good anyway. So, yeah, they can be a little uh, off camber in the but that loop you can do out there is fantastic when you get mm-hmm. way out there. And mm-hmm. even on Car Week, it's still a fun road, even though there's people on it. They're usually in the same spirit you are. So they are. Yeah, so which is Karen- which is the great the great thing about Car Week because you're you pull up and you're like you see all these cars like oh that's my favorite one that's my favorite one um and then your head just keeps like it's like whiplash mm-hmm. like which one is my favorite one i don't know have you guys gone to concord and lemons yes yeah nick yeah i have yeah. not Con- that's oh, yeah. a fun. lot of fun i mean i've and i've seen people that have bought cars in downtown carmel driven them just there for that and then <laughs> almost won so yeah as far as the P, the biggest POS, but yeah, I wanted to talk to you about the future of the car world. What do you see that you mm. like that's coming about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, obviously, EV is a hot topic. Um, I'm not there yet, by the way. Gasable forever. Um, yes, I did say that. So anyone at Motor Trend, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the 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 future of automotive, I I would say, is is very interesting. At least from my perspective, I think EVs just I think it's a big marketing play right now, just from like a, I want, I don't want to say government perspective. Right. But I think in terms of like the, the economy and the environment that we're living in. Right. But I also think that looking at ways in which people do drive their vehicles um, in the future and how they're actually utilized and what they're actually utilized for, I think that really understanding the technology behind it and the jobs that are created within the, in the automotive community, I think is super powerful. Um, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of like, it's not just about, you know, the marketing side of things, or it's not behind people just getting behind the wheel to purchase a vehicle. Like I love really going behind the scenes and understanding the technology behind it and why we actually do, why we actually build the cars away in which they're currently being built, the, the importance of it, the safety of it, um, allowing to personalize your vehicle. You spend a lot of time, you know, in your vehicle and it should be something that you actually enjoy to drive. So where it's going in the next couple of years, I think, you know, it'll be really telling. It's obviously a, a very tough market these days in terms of like advertising and where brands are going and where they are spending their money. You're seeing a huge decline in auto shows, right? Like people aren't spending as much money or going to auto shows as much as they used to because the Internet is so populated with so much information that you can, you know, pretty much buy a car anywhere these days. You don't have to go to an auto show. Um, again, I think EV or at least the environment of um, the space in which we're talking about that, whether it's hydrogen or other ways in which to be more environmentally sound, I think is going to be key. But then I also think like there's a huge need for people actually working on cars. Right. And and it just actually in engineering in and of itself right behind that. So um, I think it'll be very telling in the next you know couple of years where the where the automotive community actually goes. But I think the the way in which you're seeing a big spike in, in people purchasing cars and modifying them and restoring them and keeping them, you know, in the family or within the friend group, I think is, is also will be interesting to watch as well as car collecting um, and where people store them and how they store them and all the other stuff will be interesting to follow. 
Well, like you said, it's not the old days where you went down the street to the Chevy dealership. Now it's like if you want a Chevy, you can t- talk to any dealership in the United States. So mm-hmm. you can order one. Because none of mm-hmm. the good ones you want, you can get yeah. for anything. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Which is which That's... is an issue right now. If you look at like buying a car on a lot, like it's hard to find the one that you want, right? There's a lot of more customization. I think people are getting smarter with what they buy and how they buy it, when they buy it. So I think the the brands actually have to evolve with that and really understand their consumer. It's not about I don't want to say this in any, in any disrespectful way, but it's not about let's just be more diverse and target women. Like who is your core audience and what are they doing with your brands and why are they staying in your community? And then why are they going elsewhere? You know, and what's, what, what are they gravitating towards? You know, um, and what's, what speaks to them more I think is important. And yeah, like you said, you can buy a car online right now and you might get it in six to nine months and that's okay because people are, are trying to be more uh, personal, personalized, I believe with their vehicles, but um, it's also interesting too. I've heard, I've, I've heard a lot of people, uh, just younger folks aren't as interested in buying cars. They want to spend more money on like travel and entertainment, you know? So it's like, where's that, where's that audience going? You know, do they really want to get behind the wheel or are they just going to keep Ubering to, <laughs> to places? I don't- yeah, I was talking to somebody about that in depth the other day. One of the nice mm-hmm. things we say about a podcast is we don't get to have to have we don't have to have 140 character conversations. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we've talked about is that so it's never as simple as young people aren't interested in cars. It's more like young people aren't making as much as they used to mm-hmm. in, in terms of inflation. The cost of cars has gone up dramatically. The inventory of cars we want has gone down dramatically. So the ones that we do want, the special editions, the ones that kind of have the cool factor that people who aren't even into cars will still get drawn toward. Mm-hmm. You can take somebody who doesn't like cars at all. You show them a classic Ferrari. They're going to be like, that's beautiful. It doesn't really matter if they're a car person or not. You show them a new one. They usually feel the same way. But that obtainable goal has gotten farther and farther away. And the attention span has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. So even if it's a trip, my instant gratification can be done in one month span, a two week span. And even though I've spent a lot of money, I get something that's going to last me. The memory is kind of parallel in the sense Mm -hmm. that you think about something forever. You've had that experience forever and it's a big deal. A car can be the same way, but it's a lot more of an investment. And so until you get into our age, quote unquote, a lot of those obtainable dreams, I mean, a lot of those dreams aren't obtainable at all. But when I was younger, I had a 944 Turbo. I had an FDE RX-7. Mm. I had a C63 because you could buy them dirt freaking cheap. Depreciation was my best friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, and now that's not the case. Like, I want a new Z06. I paid, I mean, all said and done, I think I paid like 107 for my C7 Z06 or mm. 109, I think it was. And now if I want a new C8 Z06 with the options I want, it didn't just go up by like 10 grand. It went up 50 grand Uh in MSRP. Uh And then I have to ask myself, am I going to get another $50,000 worth of enjoyment out of that car? Or do I want to spend that money somewhere else? Because I I can take a lot of really damn nice vacations Uh for $50,000. And so there's there's a hard dynamic there where it's like, hmm. Maybe I'm hoping that this will draw people into modding cars more because you can have a hundred thousand dollar experience in a cheap car if it's built the way you want it. Mm-hmm. Like, like a Miata is a perfect example. You go start tracking a Miata, which has now gone up in price as well, but there's still like you can get a decent used Miata that'll track all day for 10 grand if you shop around. And tires are cheaper, brakes are cheaper, and you're going to have the ride of a lifetime in that car. And yeah, the experience in a $100,000 car is a $100,000 experience, 
So that's not obtainable for most people. A $10,000 Miata in track time is obtainable for a lot of us. So I'm hoping we see that market start going up. Toyota hit it with the Land Cruiser. Because remember, Land Cruisers were 100 yeah. grand last year. Well, now they're 56. And the new one is smaller, about the size of the, the Forerunner. And it's way more off-road capable than the 200 Series Land Cruiser was. Because it's smaller, but it's got bigger axles, locker, stock. I mean, and even the hybrid drivetrain works for it. It's kind of ugly in most people's opinion, but I bet you it functions really well because it's Toyota. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm hoping the market sees that it, I'm hoping the market sees that, hey, we're outpricing our buyers. So our sales are tanking on cars that are actually cool. We're going to kill the market long term if we keep doing that. Well, if you so. look at like Tesla, right? Like Tesla is just a name. And I think a lot of the younger folks, because they're, they're just used to names or used to brands, they want that sense of FOMO, but they're not really like investing in themselves individually unless they you know, have a disposable income from parents or some funding or something yeah. like that that came through, but like they're not investing as much into their first car or they don't really see the value of it necessarily yet. Maybe, I don't know, but the, to your point, it's a price point, right? You have to find also the cool factor where someone can take a car and modify it and restore it and still have fun with it. But then also like to your point, like, am I going to go to a trip to Dubai with my friends instead? I don't know, you know, like everyone's different, but I think there has to be Brands have to start to understand like it's 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 a brand thing. Um, you know, if you look at shoes, if you compare it to shoes, it's like, well, you first think of like Nike or Adidas, you know, and now there's all these knockoffs that are coming up like your your APLs and your um, what was that? The the Hoka's of the world. Right. And so it's like, are those mm -hmm. going to be are those going to be sustainable as well? Or is this just like a fad for a minute? I think it's I think automotive brands are trying to figure that also, like what's that next thing. And then like you, you people just hear Tesla. That's all they know. Young kids love Tesla's like, why do you love a Tesla? I don't know. It's a Tesla. <laughs> it's Elon Musk. That's all I know. Like, but they don't really understand yeah. it. Right. And and so like the education factor I think is key and why, why cars are built their way they built. And, you know, do they have do kids actually have the funds and the disposable income to be, to do that or to put it to somewhere else. I think brands will have a hard time with that for the next years. Well, I also think that, Modific modifying modern cars is tough. You know, mm -hmm. the, the days of opening the hood and going, okay, the air comes in there and it goes out there and it's tough. And, and let alone the systems on these cars that are telling the dealerships what we're doing to them and voiding our warranties and things like that. And, and it, it makes it tough. I mean, even if you're going back to find a classic car, which is again, tough with the prices and mm -hmm. things like that, because everybody thinks their cars are worth more than they are, but it's tough. You can't take a brand new Mercedes and mod it. I mean, and, so, yes, car, car companies are listening. I will use Subaru as an example. They're, they're finally listening to some of their people, and they're coming out with the wilderness packages for you know higher suspension and things like that, which is smart because it saves your customer money. But you know, and I think Porsche does a really good job of that too, listening to their customers and going, okay, they want track cars, they want they want mm -hmm. the Baron Essentials, they want us to charge them more for taking the radio out of the car, which I will never mm -hmm. understand. <laughs> so well, now it's more limited. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah there's. True. The, the the overlanding scene really like you, you mentioned Subaru has been really a boon to the aftermarket because yes. if you look at I mean, like Ford and Toyota are kings of accessories at this point where you can buy I mean I'm using Ford because I have the Raptor but like you can buy ten thousand dollar aftermarket suspension for a Raptor right from your dealer you can mm -hmm. wrap it into your deal and that's really important being able to wrap all those accessories into your deal because one they're making money on the back end on the interest and two nobody's got ten grand in their pocket anymore around here. Yeah. But if I buy my Raptor and it's already holding its value really well, because trucks, off-road, overland vehicles hold their value awesome uh, for what they are, like you can throw that in there and you're really not that far upside down on a truck like a Raptor or a Tacoma. Like 
Yeah, well, throw the 15 grand in the package. And they're partnering with other things. Like when they brought out mm-hmm. the Bronco, Fox, they, they, Bill Stein icon. They were partnering yeah. with Bill Stein. They were partnering with Yakima. They were partnering with with Warren. Yeah, that like you said, it's built into your it's built into your payment, which is nice. So. Well, look at like what yeah. what Ford has with their big, you know, aftermarket accessory line. Dodge has their Mopar brand. You know, I think they're getting smarter. They're understanding, hey, I need to keep these people in my family. I need to build these. I, be, I need to build these lifelines, right, to these spaces where these these people can actually buy that product, and then it keeps them into their family, and it also keeps people having jobs in their family as well. And you get technicians in it, and then they start keeping them in the workplace also, which I think brands are having a hard time. If I'm being honest, keeping it's doing that also. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. I, I get a, the biggest kick out of some of the marketing. Like, if you haven't heard, Dodge is, is going to discontinue the TRX. But before they discontinue the TRX, they're going to do a special <laughs> the final, final, final a run, thousand trucks or whatever. And I'm like, that you're not, so you're really not going to stop making the trucks this year. You're just, you know, oh, by the way, you can still get the regular TRX while we're making the final edition. I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> It's like, well, now it's Dodge and Ram. They're technically. I'm sorry. Ram, yeah. Sorry. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I always forget that. From from your side in the experiences, which which brand is really doing it right right now that you think? Um, and not just from a market from a marketing perspective, but also from a different perspective of being in the vehicles and having so much exposure to the world of that. Which which ones are doing the killer marketing, and which ones have really like you've been in, and this car has really been something that stood out. Car, truck, whatever. Oh boy, that's a loaded question. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of of Toyota. Um, just I think they do a really good job at staying consistent, right? And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. To me, that you can you always know if you're going to get inside a Toyota. They're they're designing their vehicles. They're safely designing. They're redesigning their vehicles. I guess I would say. Um, I love Subaru too. I think from a marketing perspective, they do a really good job. They know their audience. Like they know I yeah. mean, as a brand who knows their audience, they don't change. They they're core to it. You see it in their displays, you see it in their marketing, you see it in their community efforts. I think it's super huge. Um, you know, I, we work on Dodge a lot um, here at, at Motor Trend with our hot rod brands and roadkill brands. So I'm always a big fan of theirs just because I think they also know their core audience, but I think they're also trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to reach the younger audience? Um, how are we going to, you know, maintain authenticity and, you know, credibility into the environment too. And then I have to, I have to go back to Porsche. I'm sorry. Like I, to your point, like they are, they are modifying their price points and they are building things inside their vehicles that I think the price points is a little bit less. So you still can tap your foot into it and still get like a, a Cayman 718 and not completely blow your budget. And maybe you can modify it in a couple of years if needed or do a couple of different things. So, and then from a brand perspective, like they just, they, they design the same over and over again. It's, and it's, it's consistent and you know, you're going to get a great car, whether it's on the track or off the track and you don't have to question it at all. There's no question about it. So, um, yeah, I would say those would be my top. I don't know. What about you guys? Yeah, that's, that's one good call out on Porsche actually is there, there is no bad Porsche car. I mean, people have their opinions about the SUVs. I'm all for them because they drive the cars I want to buy. The RSs and mm-hmm. the hypercars, all those exist because of the SUVs. So sell them all day, Porsche. I love they it. They need to take but, the word off Taycan Turbo. I'm, that's all I'm going to say. That's uh, the only yeah. thing. Fair okay. enough. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. But like, if you get in a base model new Boxster now, yeah, they drive awesome. Mm-hmm. No matter what anybody says, and this, you know, it's oh, it's just a Boxster. It's like actually, no, they're really fun to drive. They have great torque curves and the little turbo four in those things hauls ass. It's an awesome little car. There is no bad Porsche to drive. They're just fun. No matter what you think, you might, they are fun. you know, 
yeah, be singing along to your favorite eighties pop hit the whole time and embarrassed, but it's still a great card to drive. I think a lot one of brand that's been standing out to me and it for good and bad is is Jeep. Uh, I think that the mm-hmm. one they're building incredible vehicles, but they've also sort of priced their vehicles to the point where the, the normal person that would buy a Jeep now is going, you want me to pay a hundred thousand dollars for a Jeep? Like that's a lot. I mean, and, and it drives terrible. Yeah, it drives terrible. Yeah, but I'm saying like, well, I you, think, I th- yeah, go yeah. Ahead. I think that I think that they are having, um, you know, they've got some competition. You know, they've yeah. got the the Ford Bronco, Bronco came out and just completely took over that that segment, and that's a very tough thing to get back into. Um, I think if you are a Jeep um, enthusiast, I would say like especially on the Wrangler, and you want to take it off sand dune. You know, I don't. You know, I don't know how much competition there is for that, but I think that they did have and they will have for a while. And I think they're trying to hit certain target segments that maybe are a little bit outside their price point to reach that audience. But is that are those your actual buyers or do you really go back to your off-roading and your overlanding and enthusiasts that actually have been your core fans for forever? You know, I don't know. And you have everything from the compass to the to the wrangler to the to the rubicon to the wagoneer like ah there's a lot well i mean obviously the fan base is there if you look at if you're a jeep fan you know they just had that that uh, jeep fest down in pigeon fork tennessee and it was they had the most jeep wranglers ever but people are still going to buy them it's just i'm looking at going okay you want a 392 okay well crank out 100 grand and then we'll talk yeah Mm. yeah and they're Mm. awesome i tell everybody do you want to off-road a lot buy a jeep if you want to off-road a little, buy anything else that's a truck, like buy a Bronco. But mm-hmm. if you want to go, I mean, if rock crawling and, and flex is your thing, then yeah, you're, you're, there's still nobody out there making a solid front and rear axle that's got the articulation of a Jeep. Mm-hmm. You're just going to mm-hmm. pay for it on the street. Mm-hmm. But for, I was going to say, a brand that's doing a really good job lately, we talked about it earlier, Aston Martin. Yes. Mm-hmm. For the, Aston Martin has come back for me because they had a dead spot where it was like, you didn't want an Aston Martin for several reasons. It wasn't reliable. It was too expensive to fix. You were going to fix it all the time. And they kind of just, like they were the old man sports car. They've always been beautiful. I've mm-hmm. always loved an Aston Martin. I've always liked them. I never wanted to buy one. I just liked them. And now like their new cars are not only beautiful, they're fast. They're pretty much making one of the, the sexiest grand touring cars on the planet, but they actually drive really well. And I do. Like now people, they're catching eyes again. Like the market is coming around. I'm getting older, obviously, but I'm seeing <laughs> more people notice them as well. Like they're, they're, their designs are, have always been polarizing, but now they're actually marketable i'm actually seeing more of them around here and being on the east side in redmond where tech central of washington is you see a lot of those cars and it's nice to see them out again because aston martin makes a good car now and the they keys do. great race the car. keys are yeah. emotion chips not keys so i mean yeah it's an emotion so <laughs> well yeah. you don't drop when you break well, them when you, like, yeah, when you, table yeah, height yeah, now either you cry yeah absolutely <laughs> i would also say yeah. i would also say they're this is kind of like I don't want to say dumbing it down, but their color options from an exterior perspective, I think are so beautifully designed. Like they're almost competing with like Porsche a little bit, like with their color options. I don't know if that's like, it's not just me and my creative mindset, but I, I think they've come a long way in the last couple of years that they've, you know, they haven't had that before. Right. That highlighter yellow. You're you're really into that highlighter yellow that they released. I mean, too. I love that color. I I could. It's kind of behind Dan right now a little bit. I know. Yeah. Yeah, My mustard background, my very corporate background. I'm at the office. I don't get sick. (laughs) (laughs) I always laugh when I get on a camera here. I'm like, this is the most corporate environment ever. That's not a bad thing, but it's true. I was going to say, like, are you at like a a WeWork station or like, where are you? Microsoft. Microsoft. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I actually love it here. But anyway. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, man, I could go on forever with you. Your industry knowledge is great. Um, Thank you. 
Yeah. Um, what's next for you at, uh, at Motor Trend? What do we have to look forward to that you can talk about? I know there's always hush-hush in the marketing world, but... There is. There's a lot. Um, we just are going out to Hot Rod Drag Week. Uh, that's in mid-September. Obviously, we'll be at SEMA uh, at the end of October, working on some couple projects for that. And then in a few weeks, we'll be making an announcement publicly for, um, I guess I could, I guess it's an aftermarket event that'll be here uh, on the West Coast. So we're super pumped about that. That'll kind of like close out our year. And then, yeah, we're in 2024 planning already, which is super fun. We just wrapped up Roadkill Nights. Um, we actually moved it to a new location. Um, it was in front of M1 last year in, in Pontiac, Michigan, and, and we moved it to downtown Pontiac, where we actually shut down a major thoroughfare and do street legal drag racing. So that's super Ooh. cool. Um, I that's know. really cool. It's really fun. Um, it's massively epic. And we shut down the road at like nine o'clock on a Friday and open up to drag race at six or seven the next morning and then have to close it down at nine o'clock and the roads have to be open by six or seven the next morning. It's intense, but it's, it's an epic one to follow. So yeah, we've got a lot of stuff brewing. Uh, Motor Trend in general is doing some really cool things. Obviously we've got a big partnership with BlackBerry talking about QNX software. Um, so we'll be back again this year at CES for that event and that award show, um, which is all about software defined engineering and technology awards. Um, and so, yeah, we're just, we're cranking and it's super fun to be here. And that's what I love about Motor Trend and just the automotive is there's so many new things coming out and nothing is ever stagnant. And there's always fun things to talk about, um, whether it's a local cars and coffee event to like, you know, big marketing campaigns. I think it's, it's fun to be around, um, and being around guys like yourself as well, just being creative and knowledgeable of it and be able to like, you know, pass that on to other people, I think is important. Well, the, how do we find out about events? Oh, sorry, Nick. No, I was going to say uh, the how do we... <laughs> One more you time. Go. You go, Dan. <laughs> how do we find out about the events that uh, all the all the events Motor Trend is doing? Like, what's the what's the go to page? For you, uh, you can go to you can follow us on on Instagram, of course. Um, but if you go to motortrend.com forward slash events, it'll list out all of our events. And some are we actually produce that are owned and operated, and then some obviously our editorial guys go out and cover it from a journalist perspective or a social angle. So. Um, yeah, fans can go there and check it out. Um, you can also ping me on Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever you guys stalk me. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's always evolving and we're always looking to do new things and come up with creative ideas. So, um, if anyone ever wants to reach out and get creative and do some fun stuff in the auto space, I know Adam, Adam does, <laughs> uh, just let us know we're here. We're if here. only we knew someone. Yeah. If, only you knew, if only you knew a guy that knew how to do this. <laughs> I will, I, I will say we're always here for fun and being wild and crazy. And that's like the, the chaotic, the unorganized chaotic world that we all live in is what I love doing. So that's what we love. That's what we love doing at Motor Trend, um, just across the board. So, um, if you guys ever want to do something wild and crazy, you know, find us. we don't like boring, boring's not in our DNA. Sorry. <laughs> so you, you actually, you guys doing things wild and crazy have changed sort of Dan and I's life because, um, the boys that throttled out that took the hunt of monkeys and went down Baja and since yeah. that, Dan and I have bought Honda monkeys and multiple friends of ours have bought Honda monkeys and we've taken them off road and created these adventures. So it's, you know, the digital media from that has been great and it's really changed us. So thank you for that. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Anytime. We love all that you do. <laughs> yes. 
Excellent. Well, we really great. appreciate you taking your time out of your busy day. I know you got to get going, um, but uh, yep. we look forward to talking to you in the future. And um, we will try to keep Adam within the, you know, without outside the range of the bubble that you you set. So don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to have a hard time with that, but I'll let you guys try to tackle that. <laughs> you mean tackle him? Yeah, got it. So, tackle him. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I think you guys like to be challenged. So Excellent. I'm with it. <laughs> I think you guys are a good pair for a lot of stuff coming up. I think Avance and Motor Trend could have a, uh, a beautiful future together. Uh, we, could a, we could have a relationship. I think Adam's into that. I think that's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. For this episode of the Avance podcast, as always, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. And don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.